everybody? It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Man, it sounded good. Y'all singing and worshiping. Praise the Lord for that. So thank you for your prayers this week. I, I do have a total rupture of my Achilles tendon. And so surgery will be in the morning, so thank you for that. Yes, sir. Yay for surgery. <laughs> uh, so first time to ever have surgery, y'all. I made it 47 years. And uh, so here we go. So I, I better get to visit the, you know, the toy box when it's all over. If I don't get a sucker, you know, or some kind of decoder ring, I'm never doing this again. Uh, but I'm so thankful that you're here today. If you have a Bible, let's go to Acts chapter 9. We're in our sermon series called Church on the Move. And today we come to Acts chapter 9. And you know, we, we often think about people, uh, big names through history and in the Bible that God has used to advance his kingdom in this world and to continue the work of his church in this world. You know, we think of Peter, right? We think of Paul. Uh, we think about uh, Luther. We think about the reformers. We think about, uh, in, in our generation, you know, people like Billy Graham. But we, what we often don't think about are the millions of unknown people who follow Jesus. The millions of people who, um, not only are they unknown, but the things that they did to advance the kingdom of God and to advance his church in this world, uh, those things were probably never known about. And if they were ever known about, they were probably forgotten. But the impact on this world through those people cannot be measured. And this room today, I'm so thankful for this, is full of people like that. People whose names probably won't be recorded in the highlight film of church history. Our names probably won't be mentioned in the same conversations as the Peters and Pauls and the Billy Grahams of this world. But people nonetheless who because of their yieldedness to the Lord Jesus Christ, God through them did big things in this world. Things that might not have seemed to be big in the eyes of people. But there's so many of you here today in God's economy, in God's eyes, He's been doing big things in you. Big things through you. And I'm thankful for those people today. I'm talking about people who are steady people. I'm talking about people who are faithful people. I'm talking about people who are gritty persevering, talking about the kind of people that humbly walk with the Lord and who, although they are uncelebrated, day after day after day, God is advancing his church. He's advancing his kingdom through people like you, through times that are easy and through times that are not, through plenty and through lack. He continues to do great things through people like that. So this morning, here's what we want to talk about. If you're a note taker, this is a good sermon for you today, all right? If you're not a note taker, this is a good sermon to practice becoming a note taker. <laughs> Let's talk about this. Let's talk about three kinds of people that move the church forward. The three kinds of people that move the church forward and advance the kingdom of heaven in this world. And as we do that, would you do this right now? Would you just begin to say, Lord, help me recognize who those people have been in my life. Help me today to recognize who those people are in my life that you have used 
in my life, to advance your kingdom in my life. Help me have a heart of gratitude and thankfulness for those unsung heroes in my life today. And the other thing as we walk through this I want you to do is I want you to be challenged to consider who is it that God has put into your life that he's now calling on you to be that to them. That through you in uncelebrated, unknown ways, God would use you in somebody else's life. To advance his kingdom and his purposes in them and through them. So let's talk about those three kinds of people today that probably aren't big in the eyes of the world, but they are big in the eyes of God. You get to decide today who you want to be big in the eyes of. By the way. If you want to be big in the eyes of the world, just go for it and enjoy it while it lasts. It won't last for long. Or today you can say, God, I just want to be big in your eyes. I want to be faithful. I want you to accomplish your purposes and your plans for me in the time that I have on this pale blue dot called planet Earth. So let's talk about those three kinds of people that advance God's church and his kingdom in this world. Number one are the risk takers. The risk takers. And I want to introduce you this morning to the risk taker today in Acts chapter 9. His name is Ananias. He loves Jesus. He's a follower of Jesus. He's a follower of Jesus who happens to live in a place called Damascus. You might remember from when we were preaching this a couple of weeks ago that it was that city of Damascus that this guy named Saul. Saul was terrorizing Christians. He was terrorizing the people who followed Jesus. It was Saul who stood there really kind of giving consent and permission to the first murder of a Christ follower named Stephen. And then Saul went on to get all of the uh, permission that he needed to take his entourage to Damascus to round up all the Christ followers in Damascus. He, he wanted to torture them, to get them to recant their faith in Christ. And if he couldn't do that, they would suffer greatly, even being in prison, and maybe some would even be killed for that. But hopefully you also remember that on Saul's way to Damascus, in the middle of the day, at high noon, when the sun is at its brightest peak in the sky... God interrupted his journey to Damascus. Can anybody remember when God interrupted your life and he broke in with his saving grace? You were just minding your own business, just doing your thing. You might not have been going to Damascus to try to harass Christians, but there was a day that God in his grace, he interrupted your life and he showed you Jesus. He offered salvation to you, full and free. He does that for Saul on the way to Damascus, and Saul is dramatically converted to Christ, and he's left then temporarily blind and helpless, like Barry had to help get me up here on the platform a moment ago. Saul's entourage had to help get him to Damascus, and he's in this helpless state, but here's where we left off. Here's what happens next. Verse 10 says, now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision, and he called Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. He, he knew it was the Lord. You see that? And the Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him 
so he can see again. Now, what you're about to see is Ananias is about to be a risk taker in the church. He's about to be a risk taker in the kingdom of God. Verse 10 tells us clearly that Ananias, yes, is a believer. He's a follower of the Lord Jesus. Jesus speaks to him and he calls Ananias by name. And here's what's important for you to see. Ananias knew who it was that was calling him. This wasn't like the story of Samuel in the Old Testament trying to figure it out. This man named Ananias clearly has the kind of relationship with Jesus that when Jesus speaks to Ananias, Ananias knows this is Jesus that's talking to me. He's got the kind of relationship with Jesus that he has clarity when Jesus speaks, that he understands what Jesus is calling him to do. Now, you might be asking right now, well, how, how can I do that? How, how can I have clarity and understanding that when the Lord is speaking to me that I know without a doubt that that's the Lord that's calling me to do something? Well, I think it starts with this. First of all, you got to be convinced with every fiber of your being that your God is a living God. you got to know that. And in knowing that, you got to be convinced that this living God desires to and will speak to you. The reason oftentimes we're not understanding his leading or sensing his voice in our life is because we, we, we say we're convinced that he's a living God. We say that we're convinced that he desires and will speak to us. But do we really? I mean, I think sometimes we live like practical atheists. We would never claim to be that, but the way we live, uh, it would seem foreign to us to really believe that God himself would just break into our world and have something to say to us. So if you really want to know the voice of God in your life, it starts with that. Knowing with everything in you that your God is a living God and that he wants to speak to you. We talk a lot about having a relationship with Jesus. And I'm afraid that for us, that's just kind of Christian speak. Because is it not true that in a relationship, you talk with each other? There's communication in a relationship with each other? So why would we not expect that if we truly, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, have a relationship with the one true living God, why would we live as if he's never going to speak to us? He does. And he will. And if you want to be able to recognize God's leading in your life and know his voice in your life, you've got to believe that with everything that's in you. Now, God spoke audibly to Ananias. Now, this would be a good place for me to act super spiritual and tell you all the times that God has spoken audibly to me that I've heard his voice with my physical eardrums. But I never have. There have been times that he got pretty close that I would say, man, that was like so close to being audible. I'm not saying he doesn't do that. Some of you may have had a, a different kind of experience along those lines today, and I'm certainly not going to argue about that with you today, but I'm going to tell you this. I got something that Ananias didn't have. I got this. 
And not only do I have this, but I have something internal too. I've got this external, but I've got somebody internal. The Holy Spirit himself lives inside of me. Come on, man, preach. We're good. You come up here and hang out with me. I see. He knows he's talk I'm talking to, right? Tell me his name again. Sam. Hey, Sam, I am. Did you have your green eggs and ham today? Yeah? We love you, Sam. This is how I understand how God's speaking to me. If, and, and I hope that you would think that we have a pastor that God speaks to. If not, then you need to go someplace else. But, but here's how I believe that works in my life. The, the Holy Spirit inside of me, and I believe you would say this is how he works in many of your lives too. That you sense this inner prompting. This inner voice. This this awakening, you might say, that you sense eyes are opened, ears are opened, you sense something is stirring in your heart as it pertains to the things of the Lord. And when that's happening internally, and that's confirmed externally with the Word of God, then that's when I know the Lord is talking to me. He's got something to say to me. This is not on the notes, but this is a free one, and I think this is worth you writing down. Here's what happens. The Spirit of God brings the ancient Word of God into the right now of my life. Now, you just wrap your brain around the miracle that is. That the Spirit of God in me uses this ancient Word of God to bring the presence and the voice of God into the right now of my life, into this moment. I heard Priscilla Shire one time talk about when God has given you the green light, and you just know. He said, go. Or sometimes you just know, you just sense internally and externally from God's word. He's saying, not yet, not now, not, not you know, or slow down a little bit. Let's tell me that sometimes. Or sometimes it's the red light that just says, absolutely not. This is not confirmed in my word. This is not confirmed in godly counsel. You are not to move. You're not to go. This is no. Here's the thing about Ananias. He was a, a risk taker. And he advanced the kingdom of God because he knew how to recognize God's voice. Get it? He knew how to recognize God's voice. And that's how you get to be a risk taker in the kingdom of God and advance his church and his kingdom in this world. Now, let me say this. Just because you know the voice of God in your life, that doesn't make following it easy. It does not make obedience to what God is speaking to you about easy. Not at all. It's usually not easy. I don't think it was easy for Ananias either. And that brings us to the second thing that risk takers do. Not only do they recognize the voice of God, but risk takers, they realize the risk. They don't just go, well, there's no, there's no risk here. God said, go and do it. It won't cost me. No. They're aware of the risk. Look at the text, verse 13. His first word to the Lord is but. I hope you got the kind of relationship with Jesus today that you could throw a but in there from time to time. Right? A real relationship. How many of you spouses, you have the kind of relationship that you can butt one another every now and then, right? You just get to be honest with each other. 
That's what Ananias has with the Lord. Some of you just went into marriage counseling right now. I just saw you look at each other and like, we're having a talk, buddy, when this thing's over because you're butting in way too much. Verse 13, Ananias says, but Lord, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Look, Ananias is a real person with real concerns, with a, a real family that he's got to protect. He's got real worries now coursing through his veins because this terrorist is coming to town. And he's got guys like Ananias in his crosshairs. Ananias has to be concerned about his welfare, his wife's welfare, his children. Are they going to be left behind? Who's going to care about them? He knows what could possibly happen. He realizes the risk. You don't think he was a little bit nervous? You don't think Abraham was a little bit nervous when he walked up that mountain with his son? You don't think Moses was a little bit nervous when he walked into the courts of Pharaoh? Some of you want a Christianity that has no nervousness in it. True Christianity is packed full of nervousness. You think David, as he stood before Goliath, didn't feel that? What fun is the Christian life if you don't have that in your bones, right? That's what makes roller coasters fun, right? It's the adrenaline. It's the fear. It's the... We'll stop there. I think Daniel wasn't a little nervous going into the lion's den. I think Peter walking out on the water wasn't a little bit nervous. Some people ask me, Pastor, you still get nervous preaching every time. Every single time. But I want to be a risk taker. I know a lot of you do too in the kingdom of God. And here's what God's teaching me. Because like a lot of y'all, I, you know, I don't like the butterflies. I don't like the uncertainty. I don't like the unknown. I want to know how this is going. But here's what I'm learning. All the great risk takers in the kingdom of God, they got the butterflies. They're real people. Just like me and you. They had questions in their mind. Listen, faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is obedience. In the face of fear. There's a difference. Risk takers in the kingdom of God. They're not ignorant of the reality. They're not burying their heads in the sand. They may, they may talk powerfully and boldly. But I just think when I get to have a conversation with some of the great risk takers. And ask them. Were you nervous? I mean even the Hebrew boys right. They, they sort of implied that when they said, if you throw us into the furnace, we know our God can save us, but even if you don't. I mean, there was a sense of, we don't know what's going to happen. And this side of glory, I don't know that a saint walks through that without the fluttering in your gut, right? And that's okay. Because faith is not absence of fear. It's obedience in spite of fear. So risk takers in the kingdom of God, they're not ignorant of reality. They just aren't ultimately guided by it. 
the reality of the risk, while real, and they acknowledge it, that's just not what's going to guide them at the end of the day. And that brings me to the third truth about risk takers in the kingdom of God. Not only do they recognize God's leading, not only do they realize the risk, they run to obey anyway. Verse 17 says, so Ananias went and he found Saul. Can you imagine? Middle of the night, pitch dark. He gets up, he starts stumbling around to try to get dressed, wakes his wife up. Where are you going? I'm going to see a guy. Who are you going to go see? Some guy um, down on Straight Street. Where? Um, at Judas's house. Who, who, who's at Judas's house? This guy from Tarsus. She starts cluing in, right? What are you doing? You're not, what is happening here? And he says, God told me to go. Are you crazy? You're just going to stick your head in the guillotine just like that? Just that easy? Is that, is that what you're going to do? The terrorist, that's who you're going to go see? Yes, ma'am. That's what God told me to go do. You think he wasn't shaking when he kissed his wife goodbye that morning? When he knelt down by his small children's bed and kissed them as they slept, you think he wasn't scared? I mean, this, is, this would have been like 20 years ago, God saying to Brandon, one of our military fellows here, Brandon, I'm going to send you right into Bin Laden's home, and I want you to go talk to him. It's been hard to hug them girls that morning, wouldn't it? I bet it was for Ananias, too. She says, why you got to go see him? Because God told me. God, well, why is God telling you to go? Because God said that he's, he's met him on the road, and now he's blind, and I'm supposed to go lay hands on him. Can he, he can see again. And she's probably thinking, it's just best if he don't see again. You should leave well enough alone. Surely God will give you a pass on this one, right? But he's a risk taker in the kingdom of God. He runs to obey anyway. Verse 17 says he laid his hands on him. And he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And afterward, he ate some food and he regained his strength. I love this. Well, this is what needs to happen right now in our society, in our world. We need some scales to fall off some eyes so that we can really see the people that we've been hating. And the people that we've been hating, maybe the scales fall off their eyes so they can see they got nothing to be afraid of. For the first time, Saul and Ananias got to see each other for who they really were. Next time you find yourself thanking God for your salvation, throw a little thanksgiving in there for Ananias, because without Ananias being a risk taker, we wouldn't be sitting here today. God sent him to Saul. There would be no Apostle Paul. There would be no missionary to the nations 
to the Gentiles, you and I, had there not been an Ananias, the risk taker. Can I ask you this morning, who, who's taking a risk on you? Who, who have you taken a risk for? Who have you taken a step out there for when it wasn't popular or safe or guaranteed? The second kind of person that moves the church and the kingdom of God forward, not only is the risk takers, but number two, it's the rope holders. Y'all forgive me, I'm going to sit down. I don't want to sit down. But we'll do a little better, I think, if I do. You ever seen an old crippled up man walking around with a pulpit? It's actually a steeple. You've never seen that before. You might have seen him walking around the pulpit, but never a steeple. This is the top of our steeple that blew off in a tornado one day. Let's just get comfortable. This means we'll probably be here till the second service starts now. <laughs> we might just squeeze them in here. Let's talk about the rope holders. By the way, I'll be non-weight-bearing for a while, so we'll be sitting a lot to preach. So if you pray for anything, pray for grace, for learn how to sit and preach. Let's talk about these rope holders. The end of verse 19 says, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. I missed it, y'all. Big time I missed it. I killed Christians, arresting Christians, tortured Christians, but I'm walking that back, and I'm telling you right now, he is indeed who he said he is, because I met him. And all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus could not refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. His former teammates, right? Now they're after him. And they were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot, so during the night... Some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. These are the rope holders. They are being used by God in this moment to advance his church, his purposes. These rope holders are being used to advance the kingdom of God here in Saul's life. Three things to talk about these rope holders. Who are they? Well, that's the first thing I want you to know. First of all, they held the ropes anonymously. We don't know their names. Just like most of you don't know the names of the people who are cleaning dirty diapers in the nursery this morning. You think that's a small thing in the kingdom of God? Not in God's economy, not in his kingdom. Nobody knows their names. They're anonymous. We don't know anything about these rope holders. We don't know where they came from. We don't know what they did for a living. All we know is that they, they held the ropes for Saul. Why? Not just to save his life. It was, it was that, yes, but, but so that God's purposes for Saul could continue on. So the gospel, which is being proclaimed more and more boldly now through Saul, could continue to be proclaimed. 
to advance the church in this world, the kingdom of God in this world. All we know is they held the ropes for Saul anonymously. Everybody here knows my name. George, that's right. But you probably don't know all the rope holders around here. You don't know the prayer warriors who consistently, every day, anonymously go before the Lord and pray. They pray for a lot of things. They pray for you. They pray for their church family. You probably don't know the people who hold the ropes by making meals and quietly taking them to somebody in their life group who going through a time in their life right now. You probably don't know, and it's probably happening right now because it happens about every Sunday, the names of the toilet plungers. <laughs> Nobody gets up on Sunday morning and goes, I'll tell you what I want to do at church today. I want to slosh through water in that men's bathroom again. But they'll do it to serve you probably don't know the rope holders, the men and women who every day, they're faithful in the realm of life that God's put them in. That his purpose is for them. You don't know the husband and wife who every day are walking together, doing all those small things in their family. It can feel like a grind, can't it, mom and dad? But man, God's it. God's at work in those little things. Cleaning those messes and putting on those band-aids and carting those kids around and all that comes along with that. God's in that. You're holding the rope for somebody. They held the ropes not only anonymously, but they held the ropes courageously. There's people trying to kill this guy. And they're holding the ropes for him. That puts them on the list, right? And it's the dark at night. It's dark of night when they're doing this. And yet they did it, and they did it courageously. They faced the danger of being arrested or being killed themselves. They faced the danger of people not understanding exactly why are you doing this again? Why are you relating to this guy? But they didn't let go. Do you see that? They lowered him all the way. Can I ask you this question? Who has held the ropes for you and they didn't let go? When it could have cost them. Or maybe it did cost them. But they never let go. Can you, can you just remember for a minute who have those people been in your life that held those ropes? Not only did they hold the ropes anonymously, and not only did they hold the ropes courageously, but they held the ropes optimistically. They didn't know the future. I mean, you, you and I are sitting here reading this story, and we're like, oh yeah, so glad they did that, because we know who that guy became. They didn't know that. They, they didn't know if he's going to make it out of Damascus alive. 
They don't know if they're going to make it out of alive, but there's this optimistic spirit in them. They didn't know everything that God was going to accomplish through him. They didn't know that this guy would end up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. They didn't know that he would take the gospel to the furthest parts of the known world at that time. They didn't know how it would turn out. They simply grabbed the ropes and they did what they could do. And they optimistically believed that God was going to do something in the middle of that that they might not ever understand or might not ever know about. What about you? I think about these fellas over there at the campus every day, building, working every single day. They don't know what's going to happen. We're living in the most uncertain times we've ever lived in, in our lifetime. And they've given years of their life to that task, and there's no guarantee we're going to move in. There's no guarantee we're going to be here. Brother Rick says it's just going to be used for kingdom purposes during the tribulation. Well, that's great. Praise the Lord for that. But they're doing it day in and day out. Holding the ropes for somebody else optimistically. Some of you may be being tempted today to let go of the ropes because it's not going well. And the outlook may look bleak and it's uncertain. Don't let go. Because I promise you, if you think hard enough, you'll remember when somebody could have said for you it looks bleak. It's not going well, but somebody held your ropes. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about three kinds of people that God uses to move the church forward, to advance his kingdom in this world. We're talking about risk takers. We're talking about rope holders. Lastly, we're talking about relentless encouragers. You ever had a relentless encourager in your life? They just never stop building you up. Let me show you this guy. Verse 26, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem. All right, now he's back, at, he's back at the mothership of the church, right? This is where all of his shenanigans started. He's got a reputation there, right? I mean, they've been breathing a little bit easy because dude's gone to Damascus to kill all those Christians, torture all those Christians. But now he's back at Jerusalem, and he tried to meet with the believers, right? But they're all afraid of him. He sends word to their grace life, Jerusalem, and says, hey, can I come to church with y'all next Sunday? And they're like, heck no. Their pastor, Will, has a meeting with their security team. And says, hey, look, you know the guy. If he shows up, no questions asked, take him out for the glory of God. <laughs> we ain't messing. We ain't messing with this guy. Nobody wants to have anything to do with him. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas. Y'all have heard us talk about Barnabas before. Barnabas brought Saul to the apostles, and he told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. In Damascus. Let me show you three quick things about relentless encouragers like Barnabas. One, relentless encouragers are led by faith when others are led by fear. They're led by faith when others are led by fear. When Saul got to Jerusalem, none of the other Christians wanted anything to do with him, understandably so, right? Look at the text again, verse 26. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all, what? Afraid. They're all afraid of him because they did not believe. 
They didn't believe that he had truly become a believer. I don't blame them for that. Would you not have been afraid too? Me too. Big time. But Barnabas, he looked at Saul through eyes of faith. We get that choice every day, Jesse. Am I going to walk today looking at this world through eyes of what I see and what I'm afraid of? Or am I going to look at this world through eyes of faith? Not denying the fear. Butterflies are real. But I'm going to be obedient to God. I'm going to trust God in spite of the fear. So he looks with eyes of faith, Barnabas does, and he grabs up Saul and he takes him straight to the top. We're going to the big boys. We're going to go see James and Peter. We're going to go see the apostles. And Barnabas says to the leaders of the church, look, we all know this guy has a past. And, and we don't mean like he stole the number two pencil from the office. He's murdered our people. We all know this guy's got a past, but I'm telling you, Barnabas says, I'm telling you guys, he's the real deal. He's not the same guy. Just like none of you, can you hear Barnabas saying that? Just like none of you are the same people you were either. Right, Peter? Right? Right, James, remember that whole argument, wanted to sit at the right hand of God, remember that? You're not the same people you were either, and neither is he, and I'm telling you that, I'm going to vouch for this guy. He's leading by faith, not by fear. Here's the second thing that relentless encouragers do. They see potential when other people only see problems. They see the potential when only the other people only see problems. Other people looked at Saul and saw a huge problem. Barnabas looked at Saul and he saw huge potential. Look at verse 27. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Barnabas, the encourager, saw potential in Saul, and he wanted to push Saul to the front of the platform. You see that? He says, I've heard him preach, y'all. He's preaching boldly. He doesn't see a problem. He sees potential. He understands, I see that God is going to put this guy on a global stage. That's what relentless encouragers do. Have you had a relentless encourager in your life that in you, when other people only saw the problem, they saw the potential in you? You remember those people? When's the last time you were that person to somebody else? That brings me to the last thing I want to say about Barnabas and relentless encouragers. They care more about the mission than making a name for themselves. Barnabas isn't worried about his name. He's pushing Saul to the front of the stage, not himself. Barnabas has no desire to make a name for himself. In fact, they don't even call him by his name anymore. Barnabas is not his name. That's his nickname. It means son of encouragement. They don't even remember his real name anymore. It's Joseph, by the way. 
They don't even remember that anymore. His mom was like, tell him to call you Joseph. They just call him Barnabas. But he don't care. For Barnabas, it's not about his name. It's about the mission. And so he pushes Saul to the front. Did they listen to Barnabas? Yeah. Because they trust him. The same way he was a relentless, relentless encourager toward Saul, he had been that same relentless encourager toward them. They knew he was real. Verse 28, so Saul stayed with the apostles. And went. And that had to be awkward, by the way. right? Can we just acknowledge that's awkward? <laughs> right? Can you feel how awkward that would be? It is. I mean, some of you think it's awkward when, like, like last night, I'm nervous. Yesterday afternoon, Pastor Rick, he's a big Florida fan. And I thought, okay, if we... If we mess this up, it's going to be awkward when I have to see Rick tomorrow, right? Like, that's, that's like the only, we, we, we like know awkward at this really goofy level. But, but they're like hanging out with Saul. They're doing church with Saul. They're standing in public talking about Jesus with Saul. That had to be awkward. And they're preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Verse 29. And he debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. And when the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and they sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. He couldn't stay in Damascus. He can't stay in Jerusalem. They sent him back to Mom. Verse 31 says, The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Listen, the church kept moving. The kingdom of God was advancing. Why? Because among them were risk takers. People that recognized the leading of the Lord. People that realized the risk that they were taking, but they ran to obey God anyway. The church continued to move. The kingdom continued to advance, not only because there were risk takers, but because there were rope holders. They held the rope for other people anonymously. They held the ropes for other people courageously. They held the ropes for others optimistically. Can I ask you, when's the last time you thanked that risk taker in your life? When's the last time you thanked that rope holder in your life? When's the last time you said, Lord, show me who you're telling me to take a risk for? Who to hold the rope for? The church was advancing. The kingdom was advancing because not only were there risk takers and rope holders, but there were relentless encouragers in their midst. Even when times were tough, they were relentlessly encouraged. They were led by faith when others were led by fear. They saw potential when others saw problems. And they cared more about the mission than making a name for themselves. When's the last time you thanked that relentless encourager in your life? When's the last time you said, Lord, show me who needs to be encouraged today? It's a different sort of message for me to preach. I don't think I've probably preached the gospel or the cross quite as much as I normally do. I did, but probably not quite as heavy, and that's okay. Because Lord willing, I'll be back next week, and I'll get to preach again. But, but this is how 
I feel the Lord leading in this today. I'm convinced, and I've been saying this for a while, and it gets affirmed every week in my life, in my own life. I mean, y'all look at me today in a cast. This is not the worst thing that happened to my family this week. This week, this is not. This is not the biggest trial our family is facing right now. You can't see the other one. You can see it on Shannon's face today in the choir. And see, some of y'all got the physical stuff going on, you know, the outward external stuff that we look at and go, yeah, I know what's happening there. But there's a gazillion things going on in this room that you don't know about. Just look down the row, left and right real quick. See the people in that row? You don't know. You don't know what's happening. And I am more convinced by the moment that we are more under encouraged, under edified, under fellowshipped than we have ever been in our lives. This perfect storm of everything being so hard and so unfamiliar. I, I never imagined in 18 months I would be locked down and quarantined and sick with a virus that taken out so many people and then incapacitated for the next six or eight weeks. And, and, and you got your story. We all got our stories. And so we all got these storms going on that have made life so weird and unpredictable and hard. And it's just one thing after another, after another, after another. And then on top of that, there's the we are more disconnected and further away and more at odds and more dukes up. And I don't like this camp and that camp. And we're just all fragile and hanging by a thread. But what if this morning, before we get out of this room, we just... But okay, Lord, what is it you want to do in this place here today? In a moment, here's what I'm going to suggest. We're going to begin to sing like we always do. And if, if there's people in this room that have been your risk taker, they've been your rope holder, they've been your relentless encourager, maybe it's time to let them know that. Maybe it's time just to show some gratitude and say the, some of the most powerful words you can say in this life, thank you. God's used you to advance his kingdom in my life. And I'm grateful. And maybe this morning's also a day not just to look around and say, all right, who's done that for me, but to say, Lord... Who are you calling me to today? And look outside your inner circle. God did not call Ananias to his inner circle. He called him to the very last person he imagined he would call him to. Would you look around with those eyes today and say, Lord, who are you calling me to take a risk for? hold the ropes for, to be a relentless encourager to. God, would you just stir in our hearts right now to reflect and to have a spirit of gratitude in us as we think about 
your saints that have blessed and ministered and encouraged and stood in the gap. And, and it even could be today that they didn't necessarily mean to do that directly for us, but just simply by the way they live their lives, they've done that for us. And I believe you would be well pleased and honored today if we showed you thanks and praise and honor by showing thanks and praise and honor to your people. And there are people throughout this room today, God, that only you know how frayed and thin that thread is that they've been hanging by for some time. God, help us to see each other the way you see us. To love each other the way you love. So God, open our hearts, our eyes today and send us out on mission. Would you awaken us out of our slumber like you did Ananias? And would you speak to us, through us, and say, go to this person and take a risk. Go to this person and hold the rope. As long as it takes, go to this person and encourage them. Not just in this moment, but make a commitment that relentlessly, until we reach the calm shore on this journey we're on, that you're going to encourage. God, give us grace to be these kinds of people. Because it's through these kinds of people that you advance your kingdom in this world. So may your kingdom come. And may your will be done right here in this room as it's done in heaven. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. I'm going to invite you to stand. And I'm going to invite you to sing. I'm going to invite you to worship. But I'm going to invite you to move. Who is God telling you to go and say thank you? Who is God in this room saying go and make yourself available? And I know there's probably a long list in your mind. I hope there's outside of this room. That's great. But let's start right here. And let's just have a little holy chaos as we sing. I don't know them. That's okay. Or maybe you're looking around and you're going, Pastor, there's nobody in this room that has done those things for me. Oh, yes, there is. His name is Jesus. He took a risk on you. He said, oh, he knew what was going to happen. Yeah, he did, but do you not remember he sweated great drops of blood in that garden? He said, Father, if we can get around doing this anyway, let's get around doing this. But he did that for you. Held the rope for you. And has his Holy Spirit not relentlessly encouraged you day after day after day? So if you can't think of anybody in this room with flesh on that's done those things, you have not been abandoned. You've not been forgotten. You've not been ignored. Almighty God himself is all that and more to you. So if you've got nobody else in this place today to say thank you to, you don't have long enough in this place to say thank you to him. All right? Let's worship. Let's obey.